0: What is up, everybody? Uh, welcome back to another episode of the UpDuck Podcast. My name is Jeff Ludicky. I'm one of your hosts, our fearless leader, Tyler Meaden. He's at SHOT Show this week, so we're mixing things up a little bit. Uh, before we kick off the intro here, I'll just give you a little preface to this week's episode. We're actually going to be re-airing an old episode that we did last year uh, with Tony Peterson from Meat Eater. So with the new year upon us, uh, we figured that some of you might be interested in taking on dog ownership or maybe you're even looking to add another puppy to the family. So we just thought this would be a good one to share um, and one that some of our new listeners may have potentially missed. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, As always, thank you for all the support. And uh, we should be back next week with uh, another new episode for everybody.
1: It's gorgeous out. Pops and dogs. This is the Up Duck Podcast, a
0: blend of upland and waterfowl hunting. Tune in as your hosts Tyler Beaton, Jeff Ludicky, Matt Jeske chat about training dogs and share their bird hunting stories, tactics, and strategies.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Up Duck Podcast. If this is your first one, thank you for tuning in. If you're coming back, thank you for listening in to another episode here as we bring on another guest and uh this is a fantastic guest we are super excited to talk to him i'll introduce him in just a minute but first uh we need to do some introductions uh so first my name is tyler beaton i am one of your hosts and i am joined by my two esteemed co-hosts the rooster assassin <laughs> jeff Ludicky, and the mississippi River Boat gambler himself matt Jeske what's going on fellas
0: we're doing pretty good Tyler good the uh the pimpin ain't easy triple threat trainer over here thanks right. to the intro
1: <laughs> I can't even remember what that stands for so um,
0: eh, don't worry about it
1: <laughs> yeah all right what okay it is a is it a third Is a Thursday night here what Thursday. what are we drinking tonight
0: I have that the same one I had last week it's the fishing for fishies Eagle Park Brewing Company Matt's hometown Okay. Perfect. Muskego, Wisconsin.
2: And I've got another Angry Orchard
1: tropical. It was found down in the fridge. So okay, there you go. Riverboat
0: Gambler, back on them ciders.
1: Ah, <laughs> feeling feeling better this week, Matt? No headache? Much better. Yeah. Okay. We're, good. We're all good. <laughs> okay. Uh, I have the uh, very delicious sparkling ice lemon lime flavored sparkling water with zero sugar. So solid. I, I know, right? I was at the grocery store. You might like, have I'm to gonna, mix it yourself. I know, right? I'm going to just pick this up. Oh, it's it's zero sugar, anti- vitamins, antioxidants, and of course, alcohol free because we know based on experience, I just don't do that anymore. All right.
0: Yeah, the, uh, the pilot episode was a little, little oh,
1: shaky there. After that was your, a little... your
0: three or four fingers of bourbon or whatever you were drinking out of that glass
1: yeah that was just a bit too much i don't think i have touched uh an alcoholic beverage since <laughs> that day so all right uh enough of that let's let's talk about our guest here so on tonight we have tony peterson from meat eater and you might be thinking well that tony peterson the one who who's famous for killing big bucks all over the midwest uh but if you if you don't know tony from before meat eater you may not have known that might not have known that he hosted a very informative um podcast on dog training that I was a huge fan of, called Sporting Dog Talk, and he has a extensive knowledge in training in dogs and pheasant and waterfall hunting, um, and we are happy to have him on to share some of his knowledge. So, Tony, welcome.
3: Thanks for having me, guys. I feel like a little bit of a loser. I'm just drinking straight water. That's I a, didn't, I didn't know that was a requirement.
1: That's the drink of
0: choice for most <laughs> nights for all of us. So don't let us fool you <laughs> yeah, here.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't allow myself to drink alcohol anymore. So I'm, I'm good with the water, but perfect. <laughs> that's, that's nothing okay. wrong with that. Yeah. That's yeah. all right. It was that's, a good move for me. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right. So, um, I, I think the way we want to start the podcast, Tony is just taking it back. Right. We want to know a little bit about you as, as an upland hunter, a waterfall hunter, um and as as a dog guy so like where were you how how old were you uh when you got introduced to, to pheasant hunting and to, to duck hunting um and to dogs
3: oh man uh well pheasants are i, lo- I love it all i i hunt a lot of waterfall hunt a lot of upland but pheasants have always just been like just a little bit different level for me and i, I actually grew up my mom wouldn't allow dogs in the house So I never had a dog growing up and I wanted one in the worst way, but I had an uncle who was always a black lab guy. He always had a male black lab and he never had any kids. So he trained, you know, he had good dogs and he hunted them a ton. And so even when I, even before I could carry a shotgun, I'd walk behind Billy and rebel or Duke or whichever dog he had. And it was just like, just seeing how that unfolded. And that was, you know, that was at a time when Southeastern Minnesota, where I grew up actually had birds, we had CRP and there was good hunting there. You know I mean? It's, it's pretty tough to find a rooster down there now, you know, kind of like a lot of places in Wisconsin. But by the time I hit high school, you know, my uncle Billy would come down and we would, I'd skip school and go to Iowa with him. Cause it was like 50 minutes away. And that was like Iowa heyday. Like they were just birds everywhere. And you could, you could stop at a, farmhouse and knock on a door and like you know it wasn't like a hundred percent of the time you get permission but a lot of times you know like yeah go ahead like they didn't care and man it just got its hooks into me and the the moment that I finally got out of like college housing and graduated where I was like I can get a dog got a dog like I was like I this is the like priority number one and I've had them ever since and I just that that relationship is like it's just so special like I just love it so much
0: and what was your first dog, what what breed?
3: My first dog was a golden retriever and it taught me a lot about what not to get in a dog. If I'm, and, and I mean, this is, we would probably got into this at some point, but I didn't know what I was doing. And so growing up, I'm like, well, I'm gonna get a lab because that's what I hunted over. And then in college, I met a buddy of mine who I still hunt with to this day, he had a golden retriever. And so we did a lot of hunting together. I'm like, well, I'm gonna get a golden because Buster's a good dog, right? And so we found, you know, this is, before my wife and I were married, we found a, I don't know, litter of golden somewhere. I think they were over in Wisconsin actually. And you know, the dad hunted, dad was named Remington. I don't remember the mom's name, but that was like the research we did. Right. And so we got this dog and she was, you know, a typical sweetheart golden, but she didn't have the drive. I didn't know it then. I didn't know what I was doing, but I hunted her a lot and six years old, she got kidney failure, died just like real sudden. And by that time I had started getting to know some people like getting to know Tom Doc and, some of the industry people and like learning about bloodlines and genetics and it just, you know, how it is like, you, you lose a dog at any point. It sucks so much, but when you lose one, that's like prime and it goes from just like, we were shed antler hunting, doing the whole thing. Like I didn't have kids yet to all of a sudden she's sick. And then the vet's like, you've got, you know, maybe a couple months and it was like four days. And i was like i'm not going through this again like i'm i'm gonna find a way to get a dog that doesn't do this to me and so that kind of put me on the journey to like learn about bloodlines and pedigrees and enlist some professional help and man it was a real tough lesson to learn real tough but it it set me on a course to like understand dogs better you know so in a way i mean it was a it was a horrible thing but i was like you know i feel like i know how to i I know how to read bloodlines better and i know i'm probably not going to get myself into that situation again so
1: no that's good i think so if if you were given advice to someone who was in your shoes and looking to buy their first dog right um i think people will often look at the price of a dog the upfront the initial cost which i always say is the that's the that's like the least the the most inexpensive pie- piece of owning a dog is the initial price tag. For sure. um, you know, and they're like, oh, I can get one for a thousand dollars. or I could get one for two thousand dollars. And they're looking at they're, they're making a decision on price. What like what should they be looking at? Like what should they be looking at from a breeding standpoint? Uh, well, from a health clearances standpoint.
3: I mean, so the, the price thing first, because that's a that's a good one, because people get hung up on that. Like if you if you want a house dog, you can maybe bargain shop. Maybe. You might still set yourself up for that dog that dies at three years old, but if you want a hunting dog, if you want something that's going to be with you in the field or you know sit with you in the duck boat or whatever, like you said, man, the difference between a $750 dog and a $1,500 dog is unbelievable a lot of times. And it really is. I mean, if you if you ever have a situation, and I'm sure you guys have probably have been through this, where you take a dog to an emergency vet overnight for some reason, yep. you're like, well, there's the cost of a dog right there. Right. You know, yep. uh, so I, I, I'm the same way. Like I, I get everybody has a different situation and they maybe don't want to spend, you know, three thousand dollars for a field bred golden. And it's like, OK, well, maybe you don't need that. Maybe you should look in the lab world where you have more options and you'd get that same level of bloodline for fifteen hundred bucks, you know, or. Maybe you don't need a super fancy kind of rare pointing breed when you could get a GSP and, you know, pay, not pay like totally out the nose, but get really good bloodlines on a dog that's going to perform for you and probably live till it's 12. So that's like so important. And then the other thing is shopping on aesthetics. Like everybody's like, I want a red lab. I want this color. I want, yeah, it happens, man. Everybody does it but it's like going to the dealership and being like, I want a red truck. And they're like, you don't care what's under the hood. Like, Nope. It's gotta look like that. It's like, you can get lucky. Like you, you can have a great experience that way, but you're just hedging your bets and going, why don't I find that bloodline and then see what the colors are going to be there. Or why don't I like be really honest about my situation? Like how good am I at training? Like how much time am I going to put into this dog? Do I, do I plan to hunt? You know, three weekends a year. Do I really need a high drive GSP? You know, or like I'm mostly gonna duck hunt. You know, do I need this kind of a lab? Like, do I need one that's a total burner, or do I need one that's just gonna be a little more like the steadiness is gonna come easier? And like, there's so much to it, and you can you can start to filter through that stuff and probably find the look of a dog you want. But for me, I kind of I I was like that, and then you know, talking to Doc and who knows more about dogs than at least labs than anyone, like anyone, he'll be like, dude, your dog's gonna be black. Don't worry about it. Like, cause I, you know, when I went shopping, my wife's like, well, I want a chocolate. I'm like, I don't, I really don't care what color it is. And he goes, tell her it'll be a chocolate. It's going to be black. She won't care. And ever since then, I'm like, I don't care what color it is. I just want that. I, I want the drive with the, the temperament that works with me. Cause I'm not like, I'm not a professional trainer, you know, like the people listening to this, most of them aren't professional trainers so like give me a dog that shows up to work and i don't i don't have to come down hard on that dog like i'm okay like now you're getting somewhere and i I think we don't we don't think about what we bring to the table a lot of times when we're looking for a dog we're like what's that dog gonna do for me like i love how they look i love how they hunt my buddy's got one of these and it's like okay that's great but do you know what you're doing like we at the meat eater office you know they're all a bunch of western trout dorks and they love the the sharp tails and all that crap. And so you go into the office and it's bearded dogs, right? It's draughts and it's German wire hairs, great, freaking great dogs. They can be, but if you don't know what you're doing with one, it's a lot to get a handle on. And so then I'm like, you know, and i talk to people who are like, oh, I'm going to get my first dog, it's going to be a draught. I'm like, that's, that's a a heavy lift, you know, but, and so you kind of get stuck in that world of like, well, I like the look of them and, you know, they can do game recovery, and they can do ducks, and they can do all of it. It's like that's great, but can you do enough for that dog to get it where you need it to be? And we we don't do that well. <laughs> like we come to it with a lot of ego, and then we get into trouble, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh. There, yes. Just yes. There's a lot to unpack. You dropped a whole bunch of knowledge there. And <laughs> two I, months. No, no, that was that was great. I actually want to do just a quick check. Uh. Okay, Matt, Jeff, did you pay more than? If you don't want to admit it, you can't. You. I'll tell you how much I paid for Mac, but did you pay more or less than $1,500 for your dogs? Less. Me,
0: That was right on the money. It was 1500 for our, our purebred Bichela.
1: Okay. Less, but not by a lot, not by a lot. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I paid. So I have, a, I have a red lab. Um, I will admit Tony, like you, I had no idea what I was doing. I was just looking to get a dog and but chase pheasants a little bit. I was okay with that. Um, he's a red lab. He was the last dog in the litter. It was like, Nine hundred bucks, I think, right? But I got really lucky though. I have a dog who is better than than what I am, and he's helped me along the way. So How is he now. He's six now. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's six.
3: surprises now. You yeah. Can-
1: I I I know I know what I got. I have a I have a really really nice dog, like a really nice dog, and I just picked up a puppy last year. She'll be one next month. She's out of field trial lines, right Her dad is crash if you're familiar with um, life the dog life in the fast lane. Um, and she's been a lot slower to develop actually and I know a lot more about what I'm doing now than I did with him. It's very it's I got super lucky. lucky.s very very lucky. soft she's she is um, very sensitive. she's mm-hmm. a very like very very sensitive but also incredibly stubborn at the same time. It's been a, it's been a, it's been a learning experience for me to learn her language, um, to a degree. We're making progress last month, but she's been a real,
3: like a real challenge. Um, my my whole house is full of women who are stubborn and sensitive. Man, I get it, <laughs> I get it. But he, that's, I mean, that happens. Like yeah. you, you, you don't know what you're getting. This this pup I'm working now. And it, it, we probably should have said this too like if you can see the parents work like if you if you're dog shopping and you get a chance to observe the parents you'll see stuff you either like or you don't like or you'll be like i i gotta have that or uh, i don't think so and that i mean that's what i did with this pup but i thought she was going to be the easiest dog to train and she's so soft and like she's sensitive like you're talking about where she's she's scared of everything so like You know, some of the stuff that I've taken for granted with some dogs, like water introduction with this puppy, was like, she put me through the ringers. And I'm like, I've got a duck dog here. I don't know if she's going to swim. And I like, but once she breaks through, it's over. And and so, what it is with those dogs is like, you have so many opportunities to screw up because it's so easy to force it or let your ego have a say in it. And they're just, they just develop at their own pace, man. And it's, it's a, the more you get your hands on more of them, the more you realize it's like, just, you just have to work with what they're giving you.
1: Yeah. I think the the, the more I learn about trading, the more I realize that how little I actually know. That's just that's it, right? I mean, um, she's, uh, we've come a long ways in the last month, but it's, yeah, you know, she can get really down, like just really down on herself. And I thought, I'm like looking at this pedigree and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm really, really excited about it. There are some more like minute details that I didn't look at. And i did not see the parents run that's the you know that like what you just said and i had a i had a pro trainer that i talked to who yelled at me for that and now he rubs <laughs> it in my face that i didn't do that um how,
3: but how was it how's that pup's retrieving desire
1: uh we have turned it on in the last month i was i was okay. a little bit too um you weren't I, fun yes i was not fun i took the fun out of it yeah i took the fun out of it like i'm I, did, I didn't have enough balance in my training. I expected the pedigree to have a lot more just natural prey drive and a lot more natural marking ability than what she showed me early on. Um, and then I was not training the dog in front of me. I was trying to train the dog that I wanted her to be. Mm-hmm. So like, that's a huge thing. That's really hard. And the thing that I'm struggling with now is, okay, I have two dogs. One that's like a finished gun dog, right? We're trying to finish up as you know, some titles and hunt test things. And I have one that's at the very, you know, beginning stage. And one day one dog will do really well in training. The next day, you know, they won't, and the other dog will. And like compartmentalizing when you have multiple dogs has been a real challenge for me. Cause I can yeah. let the frustration of one dog right lead into, you know, my behavior when I'm training the other dog. And they feel your emotions. Yeah. And they react you, to
3: that. Do you think with that pup that you you kind of made the retrieves too much work?
1: Um, I don't think I did enough to be like you didn't do enough to bring it
3: out yeah yes yeah yep Yep. man that's uh pretty common i mean it's yeah it's a it's another thing you take for granted with a retriever is you're like they're gonna retrieve but you have to set the stage for that to be so special for that love to like it it has to be the most important thing and then you always have that reward and if that doesn't become that then you're fighting that dog for some kind of reward and that dog's like you're not you're not giving me what i need out of this i'm not happy And you can't go back to treat training when they're a year old. So it's like, then a lot of people come down on them too hard. And it's like, you just haven't developed that, like that reward system with that bumper yet. And it's, you see that a lot. Like you see people who have real high expectations and you just like, you kind of overdrive your headlights a little bit.
1: Yep. That's, that's a good way to say it. I mean, we're, we're good yeah. now. Like where I'm, we're doing pile work and stuff and I'm carrying a bucket out there and she's jumping up and picking a bumper up out of the bucket. Like that's, that's good. I wish I would have done looking back. I wish I would have done more like live bird work or just bird work when she was really young. Problem is when she had her puppy, teeth, she was just a little shredder. I mean, just, you know, like we just don't, we don't need to develop really bad mouth habits before yeah. we get our adult teeth in. Um, but Hey, you know, it's, it's a constant learning game. Yeah.
3: I mean, it's it's surprising how many mistakes you can make, and they still turn out pretty well.
1: Yes, yes, that's yes. That would be the that would be that would be Mac. That's you know, he taught me taught me a whole bunch, and he turned out really good and really consistent. So um, anyway, okay, all right. We were talking about uh, you know tips for somebody who's looking at their first dog. What are what are like the three things they should look at when they're getting when they're getting a dog? Besides, don't color shop or don't don't buy on aesthetics.
3: So you said uh this pup came from field trial lines correct that scares everybody off because i don't want a field trial dog i don't want a dog that's got you know a million horsepower under the hood but that's only like one component of field trial dogs and you can like we always say this like you can rein that in like you can't put that drive into them it's either there or not you can't you can't make it happen and so I always tell people, I'm like, don't be scared of field trial lines and, and, you know, hunt test lines, like understand why that's important. Like you're getting dogs that are going to be athletic, almost a guarantee. Like it's, you know, so they're going to be sized pretty well. Usually you're probably not going to have like the short ligaments to get the CCL, ACL tears. Like there's going to be so many health benefits to those dogs because they don't, that world does not breed or just looks or because something's popular they breed because those dogs last and they learn to problem solve and they're athletic and they don't get injured and so i know people always go i mean it's part of the reason the british lab craze is so big right now it's like there's like sort of a false promise that you're always going to get this calm quiet dog and it's like you might like they're when they some of them come out of there and they are exactly what the kind of stereotype is but they're dogs like they're individuals and so people kind of go, Well, I want that, you know, I want that dog that has that amazing off switch built in. And I'm like, that's not like a real dog. Like it, that's like yeah, kind of like you can find dogs like that, but mostly you have to just build that off switch into them. You have to give them what they need, and then the off switch will come. Like they'll learn it. But so anyway, the bloodlines, the pedigrees, the hunt tests, the field trials, all of that stuff is is. The best bet you're going to make for a dog that's going to be an athlete, that's going to have some brains, it's going to take to training, like probably really work with you at a level that maybe other bloodlines won't. And the hard part is most people don't know how to read a pedigree, right? Like they, they look at it and they go, well, this one's got a field trial champion or this one's got this and there's Canadian trials and there's all kinds of different stuff mixed in there. And man i've never met a professional trainer there's i'm sure want to listen to this and blow me up for this but i've never met a professional trainer that wouldn't help somebody if you're like hey i don't know what i'm doing is this does this dog look like it'll be healthy here's what i like here's what i want and they can look at them in five seconds and go man that one might that one might burn a little too hot for you or this this whole line makes me a little suspicious like the help like learning to read those. If you if you're not gonna do it yourself, getting some help there is so important. Cause this is like this is not like a you know, like you're not going to the supermarket and like buying some ice cream, man. Like you don't wanna impulsively do this if you want a freaking hunting dog. Like you gotta that you gotta hedge your bets. And that's like the best way to do it. No, so I don't great. know if I hit three points there or not.
1: That, nope. That's, I think that, uh, I think that was good. We'll call that, we'll call that three points.
0: Um, <laughs> Tony, do you put any thought into males versus females? I know a lot of people that I talk to, it's really just comes down to what gender of dog, like you primarily grew up with, you know, a lot of people just tend to stay with those genders. Do you put any thought into that when you're buying a, a pup?
3: You know, n- not really. So the, the first dog I got with a female And I just got it because I thought, well, it's going to be calmer. And that's just like, it's just silly. Like, it's just not true. They're individuals. And so I I actually, I did an article on this one time and I interviewed Doc and I said, what, what, like, how do you look at this? And he said, the difference, like what we say, the difference between a male and a female is a female will lay there and watch you make dinner and a male is going to be up on the counter helping you. Like, that's it. But as far as like hunting drive, you know, because there's. There's a lot of stuff that we still carry in the dog world from like the 60s, 70s, 80s, where people are like, oh, the males are high drive and the females are too temperamental. And it's like it's just bloodlines, man, like it's bloodlines and training. And so I I actually like I don't really care. I I tend to get females. I don't really know why. But I was talking to my sister-in-law about it one time and they had gotten a female lab. That one passed away. They got another one. I was like, why do you get females? And she's like, I don't want to look at a dog's pecker all day. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, well, fair. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So that's not yeah. like a real scientific answer for you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. What kind of view do you want in your living room, I guess?
0: Right, no, I get it. That's funny, the whole thing about cooking dinner, because I've, I've heard the term, you know, a female will love you, but a male will be in love with you. You know, that's that's the thing, right? <laughs> and the, not staring, staring at their pecker all day. That's funny. Wow. Or, or not, it's... not cutting their, their ball sack when we're out upland hunting. Right, Tyler? Oh yeah, I know
1: that's, yeah, that's that. Cause that happened this past year, but yeah. it's, <laughs> it's funny. You mentioned the view because like Matt, my, my dog is not, my old dog is not, he's not fixed. Right. And so I'm used to like his balls just kind of being there and hanging out. And like, you know, every time my, my mom comes over to see my, my, you know, her grandkids, she's like, your balls are just like really big and like right there, you know. And I'm like, I don't even notice it, but I suppose everybody else does. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's good. That's good. Um, okay, how so how many dogs do you have now, Tony? Two, I think you said. Yeah. Okay. Had yep. how how did you how did you go about learning like the training process of how to actually train your dogs? I know you had your your first goal that you mentioned that you learned a lot from like, how did you advance like your knowledge of training?
3: I got really lucky. So I was, you know, I've I've been in the bow hunting world quite a while. Like I, you know, wrote for magazines for a long time. Like I was pretty in ensconced in that world. And some of the magazines that I wrote for are the same company that owned gundog and Wildfowl magazine. And I just started to get to know the editors. And I started getting just like gear assignments that anybody could write. Like you didn't have to know how to train to get them. But in the process of doing that, I started to get to know guys like Dockin and Josh Miller and, and seeing some of these trainers at different sports shows that I would speak at. And it was like, it was like a world I didn't understand even existed. You know, like I, I you think you've been around good dogs. It's kind of like if, you know, like you were really good at football in high school and then you, you meet somebody like a, a d1 safety or something from like a big like you're like that's a different thing and then you meet somebody from the nfl and you're like that's a different thing even more you know i didn't know the real world of dog training so i started meeting some people and hanging out with them and i'm like i didn't know anything like it was just so fun to just be like holy cow I, there's so much to learn here and then you know when you get around a dog that's like real good and you see it it's like a a whole different world it's so amazing and you're like i I aspire to that you know even if you you'll never get there it's it's cool to know that exists and it's possible and you know of course now there's freaking information everywhere i mean probably almost too much like everybody's got a dog training channel and everybody's got you know their own way of doing it so i always kind of think like find somebody who kind of operates on the the wavelength that you want you know like if you're a lab guy there's really good retriever specialists out there. And you can almost tell, like, I don't, I'm not a big e-collar guy. Like I'm okay with them. Like I I realize like how good of a tool they are for a lot of people, but I like to have dogs that I I hope I don't need that for. So I'm always kind of looking for trainers who are like praise and encouragement. Like how, how are people getting the most out of the dog without putting fear into them? And so, you know, sometimes you have to, right. It's like a safety issue or just a whatever. Like there's a lot of reasons, but if you find somebody who's kind of like, that's the path I'd like to take. Like when you watch them, like there's a woman out in Connecticut named Jennifer Broom. She's so good with dogs. And I got to hunt with her and we, we met up in Northern Wisconsin a couple years ago. And there's so much praise there with her. It's amazing. Josh Miller's the same way. Like when you're around them, they don't they don't really have to come down on dogs a whole lot like it's like they figure out like they read that dog and they go here's the here's the reward system this dog needs and they just milk that and that dog shows up to work and because i i got around a few people who were kind of on the field trial side but they were like there was a lot of fear there like they were good dogs sharp crisp good lines whatever but i'm like that dog's like not working for you kind of you know or or like i should say probably working with you like that dog's like i i have to do this and i don't like that like i want my dog to show up for work and be happy you know Mm -hmm. and so you you see trainers like that and that's what's great about now is like man you can find somebody out there to follow or you know subscribe to their whatever and see like their methods for finding that reward and just like every steadiness recall place everything they're working they're using that and i think that's so important
1: yeah no there's um i have i have like 15 questions based off of what you just what you <laughs> uh, off of that so um <laughs> i guess so if i if i'm going back though you you got introduced to to some really good trainers right and you uh, did you have like a through line to them
3: where you could ask them questions uh um, yeah i mean the the don training world's awesome man yeah like I, I was so burned out on the, the deer thing with the egos that I was just like, it, the dog training world, and I'm not saying there isn't some ego there, but like it was a breath of fresh air. And the, the people are so helpful because it's based around the love of dogs. You know what I mean? Like you just, if you if you meet people who love dogs, like you just have a common bond there. And so I just, I got lucky and I was I was interviewing people. So I had a reason to reach out to these people anyway. And then once you start to get to know them, it's like man they they've solved every problem you're ever going to run into and that's that's the biggest thing we run into when you're when you just own maybe half a dozen dogs in your life you haven't dealt with you know they they knocked that out on a tuesday you know like they've solved every kind of fear and every kind of like you know little hang up and all those little steps for you know daisy chaining together some kind of behavior you want they've they've met it at every step of the way and man they save you so much work just and 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 sometimes you wouldn't figure it out like there's stuff like when i when i was doing the water intro with my pup i was like i don't know what to do like i went into it too cocky and after a while i'm like i don't i don't know how to proceed here and i called up docket and he had me on the right path in like seven seconds he's like here's how you do it because he's been there a million times you know So, I mean, there's, it's awesome to have those kind of people out there as a resource.
1: No, that's, I think, um, Matt, I think you had mentioned it though, too, when we were, we were chatting, I think it was after an episode, because usually hang on and chat Mm -hmm. about all sorts of stuff about how, you know, some of the people, some of like the pros that you train with, they're like, you know, they see so many different personalities and they're just able to pinpoint it.
2: Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, they've got 20 dogs on their truck and every three to six months they're rotating out another 20 to 30 dogs. I'll never see that many dogs. So personalities or quirks or whatever that you're working through, they've seen it, like you said, every other week for 30 years or whatever. I mean, you can't even compare that kind of knowledge. Yeah. And as like you said, online and stuff is great, but like talking to them, you can't just Google search some sort of like weird thing that came up with your dog when you can just call somebody up. It's incredibly different.
3: Yeah. And and what's even better than that is if they watch you handle a dog, because it's... We're it's always you, like, hey, it's... what's the dog doing wrong? And when you it's... get around a pro, they're like, hey, you're doing this and this and this and this wrong. I mean, yeah, I I, almost when I... Forget. I was out at, at Doc's place in South Dakota one time and he, I was just shooting photos and he was working a dog. And for some reason, I had to take the bumper from it. And I've taken seven billion bumpers from dogs in my life. And he's like, no, actually take it this way because then the dog will do this. And I was like, even I'm like even doing that wrong. <laughs> but there's a better way. You know and they know it you know matt you're right like it's it's amazing
2: yeah yeah actually when i started training with this group I remember two years ago she'd film you while you were handling i mean it's, it's like why are you facing that way i'm like what way am i facing she's like you're not facing towards the blind i'm like sure i am she's like where are your hips pointed I'm like oh i guess i'm not at all looking where i'm supposed to be looking you know and, and stuff like that when she puts it together it makes a lot more sense
3: oh that the value in that I mean we don't I don't think we understand like 20 percent of what we convey to a dog you know I mean you you think I've talked about this a whole bunch but like you know you were talking we were talking I think it was before that we started recording but about running two dogs at the same time and just the the difference in like a dog trying to get ahead of the other dog or hunting by yourself with your dog versus one other person changes the whole dynamic. and then if you're hunting with another person or a group of people and your dog screws up, you're gonna redline way faster and your dog's gonna feed off of that. or if you're paying attention to somebody who's gone over the shoulder looking down at their feet, you like you said, you're not showing that dog where you need to go. There's like so many subtle little things that you know this is like a 25,000 year relationship we have with them and we're not even I don't I don't think we even have a clue how good they are at feeding off of us.
1: Yeah. No, no, we don't. And I, so it's it's funny you mentioned the taking the bumper wrong. So I was running a, I'll share this story. Cause this is, this is just, you know, um, I was running a master test uh, a couple weeks ago and like third series last bird, you know, we needed to run well. We did, you know, dog brings it back and you know, at, at hunt test dogs miles, they can get a little sticky with the duck. So they like, they don't necessarily want to give it up. Right. They're not, they're not like just a quick drop and so like man, out 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 you know and the judge says next time pull it down when you take it say out and pull down and he'll just release it he's so like opens yep, the yep yep i'm like yep <laughs> okay got it good to know i can't <laughs> believe i didn't know that you know this you know five years took me five if years if to somebody tell
2: doesn't tell you that though like yeah. i've heard that and it took yeah i mean I had her for two years and then i started training with that group it was like a year into that somebody's like yeah
3: no, roll it down and out especially yeah. at a test like, well yeah. i mean that's the thing though you don't when you when you get into like a little high pressure situation you, mm-hmm. it's a different it's a different thing for you and for your dog i mean i i've got a buddy who's a canine police officer here in the cities and they have to go like recertify their dogs every year for I don't know different skills whatever like finding dope in the car and bite work and stuff like that and i talked to him the other day and he's he's like dude i'm so pissed and, I, and he's he's a pretty feisty guy he's awesome but he's been a cop a long time he uh took his dog and he's like there was some stuff i was worried about with like the bite work because they only get so many commands like i think they get four commands and then it's a failure and if they fail they have to recertify and he said, you know, his dog was like so good at finding, you know, objects or finding the dope. And so they do a, the first thing was like four dummy cars and they hide drugs in one of them. And you have to find it. And you have like seven minutes and they might put it anywhere in the car. And so you have to like read the wind and figure out like where are the little seams in a car where that scent would come out. And he's like, we've, he's like, we've done this so much. He's like, I got into that. And he's like, we got a false positive on every car and he's like i failed the easiest part of it so the rest of the day i was all pissed off and my dog and it, you know like that stuff happens you know and he told me he's like after they showed me where it was he's like it was entirely my fault on how i brought my dog through that but i was so mad at my dog because my dog didn't find this easy thing and it's like you know he, he's smart enough to know like that was on him but we do that stuff all the time you think about knocking a pheasant down in the cattails. And your dog doesn't find it right away, and then you start to get a little madder and a little madder, and now it's like hunt dead harder. And they're like, I'm listen, buddy, I'm looking, you know. And we we convey a lot, we we bring a lot of nastiness to it sometimes, and it's just not good. It's a hard thing to learn to just stay pretty even and like positive, you know. Yeah, I think we're uh we can be selfish,
1: right? That's the you know, whether you're you're hunting, you want your dog to find the find the, the crippled bird running a you're running a hunt test you really want to pass you know you're at training and it's like you're a little nervous because you're around new people and like i want my dog to look good people think that i have like half a brain from from a training perspective you know we we bring we put this pressure on ourselves, and then we end up pushing
3: that pressure down onto our dogs yeah dude we we started i mean it's so common for people to go you know like the typical when people think of a pheasant hunt right it'll be like that south dakota gang hunt where there's eight people in a row and 10 dogs working there. And my buddies and I, I mean, I I never hunt with more than like two other people, but they all have dogs. And we've almost started to just like sort of parallel hunt our way through stuff. Like just because of the, like, there's no pressure then, you know, like it's a, it's a pacing thing. You can let the dog set the pace. There's no like trying to get ahead. There's no, like, like you said, you knock a bird down and now you're getting ticked off because it can't find it right away. And man, it's like, it's almost like you're hunting with different dogs. Like it's almost like, they're almost like so relaxed. Like you can tell they're not worried about anything else. And you don't, you don't think about it when you hunt with a bunch of people. Like that's kind of what most people do, you know, but you don't think how that's affecting their performance and what they're feeding off of you and your, your buddy and their buddy's dog. It's a, it's a different experience. Like, I think, I think if you're running like a young dog, hunting alone with them is, unbelievably important like way more important than we give it credit for Mm -hmm.
0: yeah last year or two years ago i did an iowa hunt on some private land, and we had like 15 guys and i think we we had four three or four dogs and just the pressure that i felt to keep that dog you know working left to right right to left and in line and not getting out too far i'm sure she felt that pressure and my nerves and my anxiety you know it's it's so much different when it's just you or your buddy or just a couple guys yeah it's not fun i mean no it's it it isn't yeah i mean it's fun to shoot yeah. a lot of birds but when you're actually a handler like it's it's a lot yeah. of pressure
3: yeah and i i think you i think you can get a dog to you i think you can get some bad habits quick getting a dog in that situation like it's there's, I, I don't like it. I, but I don't, I couldn't name 15 people that I'd want to hunt with. Ever.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was, this was something I got invited to. I mean, it was, it was a great time. It was a blast. I, I would do it again, but man, it's just something about hunting with just you and your dog or maybe one other guy. It's just so much. It's so special.
1: Yeah. It is, I, I have a, just a clarification question. When you say like hunting parallel, are you, are you like spread out further then? So you're not necessarily like yeah. necessarily on a hunt together. Is that how I'm interpreting that?
3: Yeah. A lot of times if, if there's, it depends if there's two or three of us, if there's two of us, you know, we're hunting a lot of cattail slews and, you know, bigger chunks of pheasant cover. Right. And so we'll, we'll park the truck and be like, okay, you take this side, we'll take this side. And then usually we'll try to plan something maybe to hunt together on the way back or you try to be efficient you don't want to get all the way to the end and have nothing to hunt on the way back but we do a lot of that even even sometimes if it's not big enough for that or it doesn't split right we'll be you know 60 70 yards apart versus 20 30 you know and it's a it kind of depends who you're hunting with and what their dogs are like but if you've if you've got young dogs in the mix man it's just it's really nice to get that space and just let them know because they'll, they'll show you like if you take a good dog out there that kind of knows the ropes they're going to go a lot slower than you think most of the time especially in cover like that and they're going to be working like routes that you you wouldn't probably pick you know what i mean like they they're working on the scent and they, if they don't have that pressure if you like marching one way with a bunch of people They're going to take you through some ways that you're like, this is, this is not the route. Like you wouldn't pick this path, but they're picking it and Mm -hmm. man, it works out. (laughs) Like you just trust them.
1: Right. Yep. Yeah. It makes me, it makes me think about that one spot that we hunted where we're like 200 yards into it, Jeff and you were like there, we are following this track that a lot of other people have hunted and this is not going to be good. I think it was, it was like a smaller spot and we, yeah we ended up like walking back to the middle of it where nobody had been. And we still didn't kick many
3: birds, but, um, that's what I'm, yeah. Yeah. People are so predictable. It's so easy to go do the same routes that everybody does, you know, but it's not, it's not the best way to go about it. Right.
0: Yeah. Even walking in reverse. I feel like so many people know that now that, you know, you're walking those edges, but you're doing it in reverse. Yeah. It might work some of the time, but. You know them birds just push right to the middle and then yeah. they come back out so you know pushing into those middle sections that people don't you know normally go you know to me that that seems like the the best logical
3: attack well it's i mean we we look at like you know, i know i talk about cattail sloughs a lot but if if you look at a cattail slew you know from where you would park it's like it's just mono habitat right it's just 100 acres 200 acres of the same stuff then you get in there and there's little waterways and there's like soft edges in there, like you'd look for bow hunting the big woods. And all of a sudden you find these places where it's like, yeah, there might be roosters anywhere in there, but they're only killable in certain spots. Like if you if you don't have like really fresh powder where they're, they're gonna sit real tight, they're gonna, they, they know those routes to get out. And so when you walk the outside edge, like everybody does, it's like, okay, they go in the middle. Then you go in the middle and you start to find those places where it's like, there's there was a reason there's a concentration here or there's a reason that they sat super tight here and i got a good flush but they were all running over here and the more you get in there and pick that that cover apart you realize like it's not mono habitat there's all kinds of stuff going on in there and they know how to use it like crazy so not only do they bail into there and let most of the hunting pressure go on the outside But even when you get in there, you start to learn, like, it's not just enough to just be there and let your dog work because they have all these outs, all these ways to go. But then you hit like a little open water here or a culvert here or something, you know, a patch of Egyptian broom grass or some dogwood. And then all of a sudden that's like, this is where the roosters always are. Mm -hmm. Like, or this is where the roosters are at noon or, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon or whatever. And it's like, uh, that stuff's so fun because you get to figure out that with the dogs, you know, like you get to learn with them.
0: Yeah, and we learned a lot of that, you know, on the 3rd day of our DIY trip last year. You know, we it seemed like the pieces all started to come together. We started to figure out where those birds wanted to be, you know, to the point where you'd walk up on some cover and there's, there's going to be a rooster in there. And sure enough, there was. You know, you just you learn as you go and you start to figure out those patterns. That's so fun. It is. The best. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And that, that's like one of the most vivid memories I have. It's just like we're just kind of, you know, pulling up to a, you know, 2,500 acre piece of of public. And we're like just bouncing from, you know, willow thicket to willow thicket. Right. And that's where all the roosters were. Now, we weren't necessarily in the spots uh, to actually kill them or maybe and and or maybe there was some shoddy shooting. But like we were there. Right. We we had we had figured out where they were going to be um, and, and where we'll put ourselves on birds.
3: Just, w- was it super windy?
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: And Man, yeah, windy and cold.
3: Yeah. They get into those willow thickets, those little corners of willows, and then there'll be 50 of them in there when it's super windy, and that's a rough one.
0: I mean you could see them <laughs> running in there, and then they'd come out yeah. the other side. You're you're just, you know, throwing lead or steel or whatever at them. You're not you're not getting good shots, you know.
3: I mean it, that that situation's real tough. And it's almost like I don't know if you guys have ever hunted quail, but You know, I'm, I'm running flushers, so I'm not running a pointer on quail. So every time I've ever been on them, we flush a cubby, we miss them all. And then we go start picking up the singles. And that's what that, when those those roosters in the willows, when they're stacked in there like that, a lot of times it's like, you just got to get them out somewhere and they're going to go land in the cattails. And then you got to mark a few birds and then go work the wind right and get on them. Cause those, that gangbuster thing is tough. Mm -hmm. They're they're pretty good at getting away.
0: (laughs) Yeah that's for sure especially when it gets late season they've they've done it a few times for sure
1: yeah yeah um yeah there's there's so much we could talk about with upland hunting we're we've already been talking for like almost an hour already um so let's let's start a round round things out a little bit i think i think one thing that you know tony we mentioned earlier is we're all sort of at this life stage right where my i'm 35 am i am i the oldest jeff are you older than me I'll be thirty six this year. Okay, be thirty six this year. Okay, so Jeff, Jeff, you're the old guy. We're all like, you know, with five kids, four and under. Like, how do you ba- at this stage of life? You know, you you've gone through it. How did you balance? How do you balance like, you know, dogs and hunting and raising your kids and 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 keeping it all straight because it's all something we love to do, but time is time is a precious resource and there seems to be less of it all the time.
3: Uh, I probably did like a really poor job, but I mean. It, the thing that i had going for me was that it was my job so traveling to hunt you know like i always kind of had that as an excuse like i couldn't abuse it but the the dog training thing like little kids are just tough like when you have little little kids it's just hard so you just got to look at it and go like where can i get a little training lesson in you know And, and we think we often like it's i see this with bow hunting all the time like people they don't shoot all summer long or they don't shoot all year long and then august comes and they want to shoot 100 arrows every saturday and you know 20 arrows into it their muscles are shot and the the rest of it's a nightmare right we do the same thing with dog training we're like i got two hours to dog train we're gonna go work so hard we're gonna do water work we're gonna do all this stuff and 15 minutes into it that dog is done that the the attention span's gone it hasn't been fun anymore and so it's always just like, find those little times. Like, can you slip outside for five minutes and throw a bumper for those dogs? Like, can you do some kind of place work inside? Or, I mean, this, this is one of the reasons I like training dog for shed antlers, even though I don't shed antler hunt with them a ton anymore. It's because I can do that at any time and they can get a little nose work and they can just like have that kind of like, work that muscle of like, okay, now it's find the bone. And they, they love it because it's their thing, right? So anything you can build in like that, and that's that's why like a lot of people are like, oh, I don't, I don't need a dog that will place on command or do a hundred hand signals or whatever. And I'm like, man, the more you can do with them, the better. You like if that dog can handle it, and they can handle a lot, you can you can work in so much stuff in a ten minute session. You know, like you can do steadiness, you can do recall, you can do hand signals, you can do long distance work, like all kinds of stuff, and it doesn't take two hours. So it's, it's like survival mode, man. Like you take yeah. care of those kids, you, you get away to hunt when you can and you just work those dogs. But you, it's not like, dog training is just like getting in shape. Like it's just like a consistency thing. It's a discipline thing. It's not like you don't have to just go nuts over it. You just have to do a little bit every day. And those dogs will pick up so much. And it, you know, part of it is like, The big part, a lot of times that people have when they're in your guys' life stage is like letting things slip with the other family members, you know, and you're going to have, you're going to have some of that. Like you're going to have some skills atrophy a little bit because other people are handling your dog and watching your dogs and the kids and whatever else. But it's, it's just as long as it doesn't go too far, you know, like you need, you need some rules, right? Like kids love to throw a ball for a dog and a retriever likes to pick up a dog and throw it right back at you. And you're like, that's exactly what I don't want my dog to do. So it's like, okay, if we're going to do this, why don't you train with me and we'll throw a bumper together. And this is the process. Now the dog comes back to heel. Now I take it from its mouth and kids love that stuff. But I've seen this with every dog I've ever had. I've looked outside and watched my little girls and their friends throw balls for it. And they're like, okay, well I have to undo that. But you just, you're just working against that stuff, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such good advice um, for somebody in our shoes, just finding any little time that you have to to get out and train get out and hunt whatever it may be you know when i just had the, my one daughter i would sneak out pheasant hunting as soon as she would go down to nap i would throw the dog in the truck i would grab my vest and shells i would go hunt for an hour and then be back by the time she woke up from nap you know just finding any little time that you have to to get outside and you know have fun and train and hunt and all the little things
3: Well, that's a good point, man. The, The other thing that we should say on that is, you know, like, all right, we all love pheasants, right? Like that's, that's freaking awesome. Like it just is, but if you can't get to them and you have a woodcock migration coming through in October, or you can get to some rough grouse quicker or something like, or, you know, the reason I started hunting ducks is I live in the suburbs of the twin cities. I'm like, I can't find a pheasant here. Like I, the, the woodcock come through a little bit, like you can, you can hunt them some, but. I'm pretty far away from grouse and pretty far away from pheasants. I'm like, I can just randomly scouting deer on some public land. I'm finding wood ducks all over mallards. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to be a duck hunter because I have dogs and I want to, I want to work them. And so people think like, well, I'm, I love to pheasant hunt. I want a pheasant dog. It's like, that's great. But if you can only hunt pheasants five days a year or six days a year, like you're not getting the most out of your relationship with that dog if you're just ignoring that woodcock migration or whatever, you know, like if you you find some opportunities out there, people think you can't, but man, there's a lot of good hunting on public land. And then, you know, we were talking a little bit before this about traveling to hunt, you know, you guys went to Iowa. I mean, we've had trips where we've gone to Nebraska and hunted, you know, late season down there only on public land. And we've killed sharptails and prairie chickens and roosters and quail and had amazing hunts. And sometimes you can go on a trip like that and those dogs are working, all kinds of different scenarios you know it's all wild birds some of them sit tight some of them run some of them are covied up and you can get a lot of action out of some of those trips and really get those dogs like i mean obviously it's fun for you but those dogs get a real crash course and like hunting different stuff different habitat that anything you can do like that's so worth it
1: mm-hmm. that's good That's great. That's, that's really good advice. Um, have you gotten to the, have you gotten to this, the stage or the age with your girls where you could incorporate them into some of the hunts and some of the training now?
3: The training for sure. They're, you know, they're, they're pretty lethal on the turkeys and the deer so far. They're not ready to carry a shotgun yet. So we've, we've started sitting in the duck blind a little bit, you know, like waiting on a wood duck to come through or something. I'm, I'm like a really, really average duck hunter at best. So we're like, we really count on those wood ducks. Cause I can scout them. Like they're, they're my primary target, but you're
0: they, in good company, Tony. Yeah. So you have no <laughs> like, idea
3: here. Yeah. I mean, like I, I wrote an article about this for outdoor news one time where I wrote about how like how much of a trophy a mallard is like a greenhead to me is a big deal because i don't kill that many of them so when i get them i'm like that's freaking sweet you know because I, all i ever kill is teal and wood duck but as far as my daughters like i can't wait till they can carry a shotgun and we can pheasant hunt but they're just not they're not there yet like dude i think within probably two years i mean i think this pup i have when she's really primed like i think my girls will be able to They'll kill some roosters over her but we're just it's a it's a hell of a lot easier for the t- like turkeys and deer to sit in the blind and set it up you know like it's i don't know i've almost been shot a couple times like i'm <laughs> i'm taking that part slow so that's fair that's that's fair that's good I and, think, and uh... by that i mean i've almost been shot by my bird hunting partners my daughters have been perfectly safe oh. but i've had a few people <laughs> okay. Okay. yeah yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is, uh, patience because it's going to be another, uh, 10 years here,
3: man. Are, are you guys all in Wisconsin?
2: Yeah. We're I, all in Southeast I'm East from, Wisconsin. I'm oh, from sorry, Wisconsin. but I, I live in Iowa now.
3: Man, have, having no minimum age for deer and turkey hunting is awesome. Like being as, just as a parent, just be like, I can take my kids out whenever, like whenever I deem it right is awesome. And you know, I mean you can set it up so well, uh, so fun. Like it's it's so fun, but that wing shooting's a different deal. Like it's oh, yes. just a it's <laughs> just a there's a comfort level with those guns that you just have to get to like a, to be safe with them. And so yeah, you're you're a little ways out on that probably. Yeah. But you'll be in the field with them with doing other stuff.
1: Okay. All right. That's fair. All right. I can I can live with that, I think. Yeah, okay, I can live with that. You don't have a choice, dude. No, I don't don't have a choice. (laughs) Doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) All right, um, like flying time is flying here. Um, before we move on to like sort of the final thing, the way we usually wrap podcasts, Jeff, Matt, did I miss anything? Anything else you guys wanted to ask Tony? That's just right there that you really, really want to get off your chest.
0: My biggest thing was, uh, sorry, Matt. You, I'll go. I'll go. Um, what do you like so much about upland hunting, you know, that you can't get from chasing whitetails? I think you, you kind of touched on it a little bit, you know, for me, it's just being able to get out and explore nature. What is it for you that, that gets you so jazzed
3: up about pheasant hunting? It's active, man. I spend so much time sitting and waiting. And I just, I mean, one of the reasons I don't run pointers is because that, like that, that activity of like that dog's 20 yards away and it's checking back and we're working together to me, I'm just like, so hooked on it right now. I think, I think in two dogs, I'll have a pointer cause I just want to train one and, and go that route, but it's like a different experience. You know, it's like kind of like, they're kind of independent. You're kind of independent and it's freaking cool. But right now just being active and just like, when I know I'm going to start a day of fuzz hunting, I'm like, I'm going to walk behind my dog all day till we get our birds or we're done. Like, and it just, you're not staring at your phone. You know, it's the same thing. Like, I love to fish. Like, I just filmed a a bass show for Meat Eater. Like, I love being active and not being in a situation where I'm, like, compelled to look at my phone. Or, like, any kind of, like, boredom boredom kicks in, you know? Like, I'm just, like, spend so much time sitting in freaking trees all year that I'm like, I gotta go do something. And, you know, pheasants are just, upland. anything's fun, but. The pheasants, the way that wild pheasants work when they're pressured is just so cool. Like, why do some run every time? And why do some sit super tight? Like, what's what's going on there? Like, they're so good at getting away. And I just I think the whole thing is it's the best. It's my favorite kind of hunting. If somebody was like, Hey, you got to give up deer hunting or pheasant hunting, I'd be like, I'm giving up deer hunting. Like that's (laughs) awesome. I feel the exact same way. yeah <laughs> let's keep that from steve Renella. he might not listen to this wait <laughs> <Yeah. but.
1: laughs> we, we won't clip that one and put it on social media i promise <laughs>
3: yeah.
0: it's okay. no that's awesome man like like you said it it's just being able to walk around and i'm, I'm kind of the same way like i get real fidgety i get not not bored but i just need to move you know when you're sitting at a deer stand you know on opening weekend i just just you have to move and it's it's amazing what you can discover while you're out there just chasing your dog. It, it
3: really is. It's, it's awesome. And it dude, It's a, it's a weird thing. Like w- my buddy and I, one of my really good buddies that I, I hunt with a lot, we talk about this a lot because we always check our, like the health on your phone or your, your Apple watch at the end of the day, like see how many steps you did, you know? And you're like, man, we we've had days where you're hitting 30,000 steps and you're like, you might not get your limit of three birds. And you're like, it's like on paper, that's so dumb. Like, it's so dumb. Like, why would you do that? But you're like, I'm just going to, I can't not keep going because I might get that flush. And when right. you do get it, it's so awesome. Or when you just like, you know, you either see that dog, you know, I mean, there's no, it's different for you with a pointer, but I, when I see a dog, like just burst through my vision a little bit and you know, like instantly you see that tail or even when you're in the cattails, you just hear it and you're like just listen to the tale like it's coming you know like it's just yeah. it's so cool it's so worth those down hours where you just hike through the snow and it's cold and sucks and nothing's flying like it's just awesome
0: 100% Matt you had a question sorry i interrupted yeah, you i was
2: i was wondering you kind of mentioned uh not training with e-collars have you always done that like from your first
3: dog or have this been like a
2: a journey to to not using an e-collar and is that all the time or
3: uh i i almost never use them i and it so and i know people get super weirded out about that yeah
2: that's what i was gonna say like we don't have to like really get into it because i know it, it's, it's like fine. it's a podcast in itself but i'm just curious on like how you got there
3: so i i accidentally sort of fell into it so with my first dog uh she just she was a pleaser she wasn't she didn't have the drive but she was a pleaser so uh uh retrieve was like a huge reward so i got just incredibly lucky getting a dog that wanted that mm-hmm. and so i kept like thinking that i was going to need this e collar like i kept thinking like everybody uses e-callers like i w- when does this come into play but the recall was good with her her steadiness when i trained her for ducks you know i did the shed dog thing and if if there was a if there was a retrieve and some praise there she was like i will do what you need i mean i ended up training her to bring back like we'd hunt snowshoes up in northern wisconsin or hunt rabbits like it it didn't matter like i just i was like well i'm taking my dog everything i can do and so i started to realize like this is just a case-by-case basis like we we have been told this message that you need an e-collar by by people who are really good at training but they also have time limits a lot of times and they're dealing with dogs of such like very genetics you don't know like there's been so many mistakes made with a lot of those dogs so for them it's like you have to have that tool like it's the best tool for the job the the amateur trainer who just gets a dog has a better opportunity to develop that dog the way they want than shipping it off to a pro a pro is way better at training than you but you have a better opportunity with that dog because you can work with it every day and you can figure out exactly what that dog needs to work for you and you still might get into a situation where you have a dog where you're like this dog's stubborn or this dog's always going to chase this or it's always going to grab that porcupine like there might be a safety thing there or just a personality trait you can't overcome and then an e-collar is great i try really hard to get dogs that are like pretty soft and are going to have so much drive that their reward is always going to be there. And then, so if I, if I got the wrong dog, I would, I would have an e-collar on it in a heartbeat, but I try not to, cause I just like to not have that. Like I'd like to not have that. Cause I, I'm not, I, I think you can do it with certain dogs without it. And I want to do that, but I'm not opposed to them. Like it, there's, there's a lot of situations where they're so necessary. So, yeah.
1: No, it's good. But the, the, Matt, you're right. That is a whole podcast topic yeah. and it's, you know, I, I, I <laughs> yeah, I personally train with an e-collar or train with an e-collar use an e-collar in the field. I think Matt and Jeffy both do as well. Correct. Yep. Yeah. I, yep. yep. And, but I, I train with a guy who trained, he buys British labs and he's, you know, British style of training, um, does a hunt test thing. He's never used an e-collar. His dogs are incredible they're incredible
3: is it jeremy know? moore
1: it's not no. jeremy moore nope nope this is
3: because he doesn't <laughs> I was
1: no. Curious. no, it's not no no i don't he has jeremy moore doesn't know who i am um oh. no it's a, it's a, it's it's a, it's an older man he's like 70 he's got like a nice setup like you know technical pond he's got a little hay field you know he can like you know a couple of years ago he set up like a fence on the way to a blind and he sent his dog across the water over the, jump the fence right on the way to the blind. you know. a Couple like a month ago, he put he put one on top of a hay bale. Sent his dog right up on top of the hay bale, snags it off of there. And you now you can you can train dogs to do this, right? Yep. Um, but you know, it's is it faster to do, faster with an e collar? Yeah. Um, but that's if you know how to use it, and that's
3: well, that that's the problem. Yeah. I mean, we've we've kind of and it man i have got i have gotten into trouble a few times in my career like where i have really pissed off a lot of people and most of the time it's around an e caller situation and my thing with it is you see them used wrong a lot like you see that as a shortcut like and it it's just there's a process to it right there's an there's an intro process to it it's a reinforcement tool like it can be a long distance communication tool if you use it right but you see so many people who, who are like, I don't, my dog sucks. It's eight months and it doesn't listen and they want to light it up all the time. And I'm like, it's just not, I, I don't like that message. Like mm-hmm. I love if, if you know how to use them, like, it's awesome. Like they're a great tool, but so many people don't, they use it as a shortcut to training. And I'm like, that's not, it's not the way to go about it. A lot of times.
1: I would, I would say this, cause this is like a, this again, This this week long time about this it people use the e-car e-car teacher train and it's not a teaching tool at all it's it's yeah. it's it's a, it's a it's a reinforcement tool it's to reinforce what yeah. you've taught to, to reinforce a top behavior
3: dude it's we are we just love shortcuts <laughs> like human, yep. i mean it's in the you know in the bow hunting world i used to do a lot of seminars at like deer shows and i did a lot of them on like bow hunting public land whitetails. right like kind of my wheelhouse. And I would go through my process. Like, here's how I scout. Here's how, when I get there, what I do, how I find them, here's how I I move in an entire process that's like worked pretty well for me. And at the end of every seminar, I would say, does anybody have any questions? And everybody raises their hand and they go, what kind of decoy should I buy? What kind of calls should I buy? What kind of scent should I buy? And it's like, I literally just went through the entire process of like not using these get rich quick products to figure out where deer like to walk and then going to shoot them. But in our heads, we're like, there's something I can buy to make this way easier. And an e-collar can do it. Like an e-collar can really fast track some of the training and some of the, like get those lessons to stick. Like once that dog knows it and there's no false positives there, like, like they, they understand it. Like, now they like, I, I got the rules boss but there's so many people who don't like they just jump the gun on it and it's it's not great yep yep so, yep you'll get some email for that
1: uh no that that's okay <laughs> like i'm not like i use any color i'm not i'm not you know i people there's so many different training methodologies out there and i'm going off on like a tangent here but it's right you got like you said earlier you have to find what works for you what aligns with your principles and the, the one thing that we could talk about probably for another like 30 minutes is like expect realistic expectations for your dog. Right. You know, what do you want your dog to be? You know, people have an eight month old dog and expect it to be finished and it's not. So then they punish the dog with e-collar. You know, that's just one okay. example. Or, you know, like, Hey, I only have, I can only train my dog two or three days a week, but I want it to be-, to be able to go out into the duck line. And, you know, I want to be able to, to pick up a, you know, a triple or be able to run blind retrieves. And it's like, okay, but it's gonna be four or five years based on the amount of time you have. Like, it's just, you know, there's this, we want, like you said, we want shortcuts. We want, you know, to get to the end product. And I I look at training and just owning dogs, it's just a journey. You just have to enjoy the journey
3: in the process. That's the beauty. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of people make a really big mistake where they don't really train with an e-collar, but they use it when they're hunting. And, you know, you take a dog the you know to the soccer fields and you're training and that dog's pretty good because it knows the drill and then you take it out into that crp for the first time in the fall and it's super exciting and everybody's geeked out and that dog kicks up a rabbit or something or just you know it's it's like kids you know like they do dumb stuff like they're 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 not they haven't been there and done that yet and so a lot of people don't use them enough when they're training for reinforcement and then when they go hunting they're like well now i gotta dial her up to 10 (laughs) i gotta light him up and it's like well was this a fair situation to put him in you know like have they ever been here before like has that dog ever jumped a deer right in front of its nose out in the field or whatever you know like you gotta you just gotta give them a chance
1: yep. yep okay all right let's uh let's move into the final stages here uh so we don't take up too much more of your time tony so we like to we'd like to end podcast what we call sky blasting which is you know like when when <laughs> When there's birds that you know, you're just you're firing off shots, you're wasting ammo. It's it's just kind of fun, right? So we're gonna go through like I'll probably have some random questions for you. Some of them might be hunting related, some might not be hunting related. We'll spit them out. You just answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Sure. Doesn't so sound like fun.
3: Yeah. Do you know what? Do you know what my wife's uncle calls those shots? Uh what? What is it? what? <laughs> he'll shoot. Sometimes they're like those roosters will be like eighty five yards away, and he'll touch one off, and I'll be like. And he's like, ah, that was just a kiss my ass shot. <laughs> but he knows he's not gonna get him. But yeah. Whatever. Anyway. Itchy trigger. <laughs> no, maybe, maybe we should
1: rename this this segment the, the kiss my ass shot. I
0: kiss my ass shot, yeah. <laughs> so I just had to make sure my guns don't work, you know. That's a that's a classic
1: line that everybody likes to say too. <laughs> all right uh first question i have is is there any chance that we'll see you in the future doing another dog training type of podcast
3: yeah okay okay i would say there's a really good chance of that
1: okay all right um okay uh what what kind of food do you feed your dog
3: uh pure pro plan Thirty twenty. okay all right
1: uh let's see here uh what is our what is a bucket list vacation spot for you does not have to be a hunting spot
3: new zealand it's gonna be both Okay, well, it's gonna be a hunting spot and it's gonna be just a sweet vacation
1: (laughs) i assume you're gonna be chasing
3: stag out there uh no i'm gonna be chasing something else but i can't talk about it yet okay all right fair enough cool okay yeah
1: are you, an, are you an early riser or a night owl?
3: Uh, I'm mostly a night owl. I mean, I get up early a lot to hunt, but I don't like it. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm dude, way. I'm 43, I'm <laughs> starting to love naps. Like I'm like, man, I'll, I will take a nap in the middle of the day. So I, I don't know, I'm not much <laughs> of a riser. Okay, okay, all right.
1: Um all right, uh Ford or Chevy.
3: Uh Ford right now. Okay. All My right, last Chevy man. was terrible. Good man.
1: <laughs> terrible truck. <laughs> okay. I'm I'm running low on questions here.
3: Jeff Matt, you guys got any?
0: Yeah, I got a couple. Favorite hobby outside of hunting?
3: Uh playing guitar, probably. Interesting. Okay. Well, I guess you could say fishing too. Fishing? I like guitars, yeah. but that's fair. that's too obvious, right?
0: Yeah. yeah, I like the guitar. Yeah. Musician, are you are you a country fan? Not really. Okay, do you like rock? What do you listen to?
3: uh I like pretty heavy stuff. All
0: right, like, Nirvana <laughs> or Foo? Nirvana or Foo Fighters?
3: Nirvana. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually almost a little assaulted by that. I'm not a big <laughs> Foo Fighters guy. I'm I it's both David why. Grohl, right? You got he's in yeah. the same band. Dude, I love dave Grohl. I just don't like Foo Fighters that much. Okay, I don't
0: know why. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. All right. My last one is coffee or energy drinks. Coffee. Coffee. Perfect.
3: Unless I'm driving home from like an elk hunt or something. And then I will buy the, the worst energy drinks. Like I will just go deep, like <laughs> yeah. whatever. Like I, I just can't, I this spring I was hunting turkeys down in Nebraska and I bought those like, I don't hardly ever drink soda. And I bought these like Mountain Dew energy drinks and oh. dude, I could, I was like, I could, smell colors i was like speaking in tongues man that drive was i was flying it was awesome <laughs> you were ready to go yeah <laughs> oh,
0: that's awesome
3: that's great <laughs> i have one
0: more favorite state to chase birds
3: probably nebraska nebraska all right yeah <laughs> I like Nebraska. You had to think about that one a little bit. There's a few few contenders. I mean, yeah. uh, I I like Nebraska for the variety.
0: Sure. That's fair. Yeah. All right, Matt, you got any?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, Last book you read.
3: Uh, Cosmos by Carl Sagan. I'm a big space geek, and I've been reading a lot of space books lately. So there's another fun fact for you guys. and uh i'm
0: covering all kinds of stuff
3: and by the way Ken, mark kenyon there at meteor loves that because i give him tons of shit for being like a total like he's like super into pollinators and butterflies and stuff and so he make i make fun of him for that he makes fun of me for like in space so
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome <laughs>
2: uh my other one would be uh favorite mount or taxidermy in your house
3: you know, I have a lot of stuff. Uh my favorite I have two things. Uh I killed a buck with a recurve when I was like 24. It's the only buck I've ever killed with a traditional bow. It's not a very big 8 pointer. I just love it because it was like a it just kicked my butt. Like I just wanted to prove that I could do it and it was a lot of work and it was just a cool deer for me. I mean, in fact, it's probably the smallest mount I have, but that one and then I I Spent a little time in Africa and like I don't know 2007 or something, and I shot a baboon, so I have a baboon skull in here, and so I kind of like that because I get to show the kids. But now I'm this is this is more than you guys want to know about me. But now I'm like starting to worry. That I probably should not have shot a monkey. Like I feel like Karma's gonna <laughs> come come back and get me. <laughs> like I I watched that Netflix docu series Chimp Chimp Empire. I don't know if you guys watched that. I haven't. I haven't. Oh. It's wild. It's wild. And I, I was watching that and I was like, man, I should not have shot that monkey. I'm going to have to put that one on the watch list. <laughs> that's coming back somehow. Chimp back.
0: empire. I'm going to write this down. <laughs> yeah.
3: It's wild. The way they shot that is, the, the crew that shot that is is gnarly, man. They embedded themselves with those chimpanzees for a long time. And the way they shot it is wild. It's It's pretty neat. It's pretty that's freaking awesome. brutal, too.
1: That sounds like one that I don't know if I could convince my wife to watch.
3: Yeah, my, Mine watched like eight min, minutes of it and she went to bed. She's like, this is not, <laughs> I was like, this is not fine. <laughs> oh, man. that fine.
1: Oh, and that feels like a great way to wrap this thing up here. Uh, so Tony, though, before we go, if people want to see more of you, if they want to hear more of you, if they want to read more of your, more of your articles, where should they go? How do they
3: find you? TheMeatEater.com, man. Everything that I create, you know, I've been a full timer at MeatEater for like a year and a half. Uh, so everything that I write, podcasts, all that stuff is there. And anybody who's listening to this can feel free to write in and tell them they should cover more dog stuff and do more bird dog stuff because I have been beating that drum for a while and it is. I'm I'm not making a whole lot of headway there, but I'm trying because I think we I think we should be covering some bird dog stuff. So. Feel free to bombard meat eater with that.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. I think I think we could help out with that. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Tony, thank you so much for taking time out of your day, your busy schedule to jump on with us. I know I had a lot of fun, um, you know, learning more about you, learn about your background, learn about your upbringing. I um, hope we can do it again sometime.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, guys. That was fun.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. It.